The following are some actual responses that were from comment cards given to the staff of the Bridger Wilderness area out in Wyoming. Uh, These are some of the suggestions that hikers and campers thought that the people in charge of this vast wilderness area needed to take care of. Trails need to be wider so people can walk while holding hands. That's a pretty good idea. Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. (laughs) There's too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the areas of these pests. Please pave these trails so they can be snow plowed during the winter. Chairlifts need to be in some places so that we can get to wonderful views without having to hike to them. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. A small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. (laughs) Is there a way I can get reimbursed? And they left their phone number. Reflectors need to be placed on trees every 50 feet so people can hike at night with flashlights. Escalators would help on steep uphill sections. A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. The places where trails do not exist are not well marked. (laughs) Too many rocks in these mountains, unquote. Isn't it interesting? (laughs) My, how we humans hate to be inconvenienced. I mean, it's no wonder there's such troublesome realities like hardship and difficulty and adversity and grief and suffering. It's no wonder they're so unpopular in our world. And as we shall see in our text today, they may not be real popular in the church either. Before we resume our study through First Peter, I want to read from Romans chapter 5, where we find the Apostle Paul is kind of preaching the same message. He's singing the same song here as the Apostle Peter. Verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, But we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. Now, turn with me back to 1 Peter chapter 4 where the Apostle Peter returns to his central theme of maintaining everyday hope, even in the midst of suffering. So we pick up with verse 12, 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange has happened to you. And then he moves on to focus specifically on the positive aspects, the benefits of suffering as a Christian. 
See, Peter wants his readers to remember that suffering has always been seen, must always be seen, from the perspective of eternity. The glory of the Lord always lies ahead of us, in front of us. As one writer expresses it, it's always suffering first and then glory. The cross came before the glory of Easter. Not to have the suffering means not to have the glory. But you know what? Nevertheless, there's a whole lot of us, I think, in the church that are still surprised, maybe even shocked, when you have difficulties, sufferings, for the cause of Christ. Now, that's a distinctive and important point to make. You and I can suffer, and we do all the time, for the stupid, doofus things we do. I was expecting at least one or two amen to that. We could, we could relate to that. We, we resemble that remark, as somebody said. That's the truth. Some modern preachers today, I think, even preach that the sun will always shine upon Christians, that our grass will always be green, and that the spiritual temperature will always be perfect and ideal. But not the Apostle Peter. According to him, such teaching simply is not true. In fact, we've already seen Christians will often suffer for doing good. We've seen that. If you've recognized the spiritual war that you're in with Satan, then you understand what I'm talking about this morning. Christians have faced trials and suffered for their faith from the very beginning of the church. Peter himself suffered greatly for his Christian views and beliefs. Tradition tells us that when he was crucified, he wanted them to crucify him upside down, which they did. Because he felt unworthy to die in the very same manner in which his master and Lord Jesus did. But even in the midst of all that, even despite of these things we're talking about in 1 Peter, his attitude is evident when you get to verse 13. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now, again, he's talking about identifying, having a sense of a relationship, a connectedness with Christ, and the fact that his suffering was for us. We've sung about that already today. Like the master, like the servant. And we've seen that there's a kind of suffering that simply happens in our life because we disobey. What is it the phrase is, we reap what we sow. And we have certainly proven that, I'm sure, in our life. But in this particular context, Peter is obviously talking about another kind of suffering. Suffering that comes because you have decided at some point in your life to follow Jesus. The kind of suffering that is evident if you're a faithful believer in your conversation. And the things that are priorities in your life. The manner in which you go about making decisions. In this context, Peter's obviously referring to this need for us to remember that there's coming a day when the Lord and all of his glory is going to be revealed. And at that day, we shall truly rejoice and give God thanks for the privilege of having gone through hardship and difficulty for his name. 
And the Bible says we'll be overjoyed on that day. Verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now his point, his point's obvious here. If you and I are ridiculed or insulted by non-believing people, the Bible says that we're blessed. That that's a blessing on us. And the reason why is because Jesus experienced the very same kind of thing as he hung on the cross, dying in our place. He was ridiculed. They made fun of him. Matthew 5.11 records the place in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where our Lord reminds us, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all manner of evil against you because of me. Now, I mean, did you get that? We should rejoice in such persecution because it will affirm the fact that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. We are drawing that kind of attention because at some point in your life, you made a decision to walk a little different than everybody else. And that path that you're walking has not always been easy. And those who mock and revile us are blaspheming, but Christ is being glorified through our lives. The point of all this today especially, what a privilege it is to suffer for the name of Christ Jesus. But I want to change this verse just a tiny bit. I want us to take a look at this and personalize it for just a moment. We're going to put up a little different version of this passage. Blessed am I when people insult me, persecute me, falsely say all kinds of evil against me because of my relationship with Jesus. Think about that a minute. When was the last time you were insulted, persecuted, or had all manner of evil said against you falsely because of your belief in Jesus Christ? You know, I couldn't think of a single time in my life. I was baptized in 1964. And any of the trouble or the pain or the heartache or suffering that I have had to endure for 57 years as a believer has not been because of Christ so much, but because of my own sinful and foolish decisions. I read a recent article about the suffering church, and the author listed 17 progressive degrees of persecution. These are 17 progressive things that a believer is likely to face for practicing their Christian faith in some cultures around our world. It starts out with, number one, disapproval. People frown on what you're saying and doing. Then there's outright ridicule, number two. Number three will be pressure to conform. Number four, loss of educational opportunities. Number five, economic sanctions. Number six is shunning. Number seven, alienation from the community. 
Number eight, loss of employment. Number nine, loss of property. Number 10, physical abuse. Number 12, harassment by government officials. 13 is kidnapping. 14 is forced labor. 15 is imprisonment. 16, physical torture. And 17 is murder or execution. And did you know, in some parts of this world, where believers are worshiping, possibly right now, right today, that's their reality. An everyday reality, but not so much here, is there? Not yet, at least. And you know why? Maybe because so few of us are even willing to identify with Jesus outside the doors and walls of this church. How many of your acquaintances and co-workers know you're a Christian? How many neighbors, how many people you rub shoulders with on a regular basis know that you're a believer? Back in 1990, when the center fielder Brett Butler left the San Francisco Giants as a free agent, he joined the cross-state rivals, the dreaded evil Los Angeles Dodgers. And when he returned to San Francisco for the very first time in a Dodger uniform, Giants fans greeted him with a mix of boos and jeers. And, but, and the cheers that he did get quickly turned to boos when Butler came out of the dugout and he went over and he hugged Tommy Lasorda, the coach of the dreaded Dodgers. After the game, the reporter asked him about it, and he said, you know, I'm now a Los Angeles Dodger, and that just kind of solidified it, because I wanted everybody to know I'm a Dodger now. And friends, when people become Christians in one way or another, they need to identify with Jesus in the sight of their family and their friends and their neighbors and their co-workers and their acquaintances. Should never be a moment, never be a moment when we live as secret disciples. No, don't wait by to know. As Peter Bluntly puts it in verse 16, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. I mean, instead of being ashamed for suffering as a believer, we should glorify God for the privilege. And to Peter, This was not just a command for the moment. It's a lifestyle. Verse 17, he goes on to declare, For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. Did you pick up on that? And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then in verse 18, he quotes from a proverb, Proverbs 11.31. He said, It is hard for the righteous to be saved. If it is then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? You see, a statement like that should bring us back to reality. Life is not merely lived in the present. We are accountable to God for our actions, our decisions, our our thoughts, our, our approaches to everything. And there are terrible consequences for sin, but great blessings for the believer and glory to God And when we glorify him, then that results when a Christian is willing to suffer for the name and cause of Jesus Christ. 
By the way, there's a marvelous solution for those who find themselves suffering according to the will of God. Very profoundly simple. If we'll commit this to our mind, will, and emotions, if we'll think this through, if we commit our mind, our heart, our will, and emotions to Jesus, verse 19 says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. He is the faithful creator who made us in his image. The one who through Jesus Christ is in the process of helping you and me become more and more and more like him. And less and less like the distortion which sin has created in our lives. God is faithful and trustworthy. And 1 Thessalonians 5.24 reminds us that the one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. He will do what he says he will do. He's not like us. We kind of fudge sometimes. But he is faithful. I want to put a picture on the screen. This young lady probably may be known to many of you. I don't know. She stays out of the limelight as much as she can. This is Johnny Erickson Tata. And um, I never think about suffering that I don't think about her. The diving accident in 1967 left Johnny a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. Hard to believe it's 1967, how long it's been. Today, she's internationally known for artwork, paintings that she, she paints with her, her mouth. Though somebody has to put the brush in her mouth because she, she can't do much with the rest of her body. She's a talented vocalist radio host, author of 17 books, advocate for disabled people all over the world, and no stranger to adversity and suffering. She once wrote of an experience that she had. I'm just going to read what she said. She said, you know, honesty is always the very best policy, but especially when you're surrounded by a crowd of women in a restroom during a break at a Christian women's conference. One woman, putting on her lipstick, looked at me and said, Oh, Johnny, you always look together. You look so happy in your wheelchair. I wish I had your joy. Several women around her nodded their heads. How do you do it? You know, she asked as she put the cap back on her lipstick. Actually, I don't do it, I said. In fact, may I tell you honestly how I woke up this morning? This is an average day. She took a deep breath and she said, After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. That's when a friend arrives to get me into my chair. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, Oh, Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my chair, brush my hair and teeth, and send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I don't have to smile to take you, take in, I don't have one to take into the day. But Father, you do. May I have yours? God, I desperately need you. So what happens when your friend comes through the bedroom door, one of the ladies asked. She said, I turn my head towards her and give her a smile sent straight from heaven. It's not mine. It's God's. And so, 
She nodded to her paralyzed legs. Whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. And then she added this, and I close with this. Too many Christians depend on their own strength to get through life. But I have learned that the weaker we are, the more we need to lean on God. And the more we lean on God, the stronger we discover Him to be. As long as I have breath, I will worship God. It's never about me. I pray my life will always give Him the honor and glory that He rightfully deserves. For He is Lord, not us. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the testimony of faithful people who have gone through so much adversity. Help us to appreciate, Lord, that yes, we struggle and we have our difficulties, but Lord, help us remember that we've not suffered to the point of shedding our blood. No one's nailed anybody to a cross lately here, at least in our country. So, Father, my prayer would be that what we would take away from Peter's challenge is to, to carefully have a, a reevaluation of our mind and heart and our attitude when it comes to difficulty. It's one thing to suffer for the stupid things we do, but it's a totally different thing to suffer because we are related to you. Help us not be ashamed. Help us, Father, not to hesitate to speak forth truth when it needs to be spoken. Help us do it with a good attitude and, and help us, Father, have a graciousness and a humble spirit. But help us never back down from this culture. Help us continue to just day by day live out the life you've called us to, a life of faithfulness, a life of commitment, a life of dealing with the hard knocks and the difficulties, loved ones who die and leave families heartbroken, challenges that come about as a result of things that we had nothing to do with. But especially, Father, help us be sensitive about the things that we do that cause our own problems. Help us never blame you for our sins, but yet help, help us rejoice that you made a way for us to be with you forever in spite of our sin. And that way was Jesus. And may we bear his name well this coming week and beyond. In Jesus' name I pray.